Well, we are going to go into our time of teaching right now, and uh, inside your program is a green and white message note sheet we use every week, and so if you're brand new, you definitely want to take that out, follow along. If you guys are all set, I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready to go? All right, let's pray. God, we're just excited really to be taking this next step in this amazing epic vision that you're unpacking for us in this letter of Ephesians. And uh, every week, God, it's like the vision gets bigger, uh, the calling on our life gets clearer. And so I'm looking forward to this, just so we take this next step that we would understand this, this vision you have, this new community, this new humanity that you're calling out uh, to, to kind of populate the future, the new creation that's coming. And so we pray that you would give us eyes to see today, you'd understand our place in it, help us to evaluate our lives, whether we're on track or not, and that we would grow as a result of being here. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're continuing the series that we've been in since the start of the year. Uh, for those of you who are brand new, it's a series called Epic, and it's a study of one of the most important letters in the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul. It's a study of the letter of Ephesians. So it's uh, written to a group of Christ followers about 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, who live in and around the area of Ephesus, which was a major kind of capital city of a, a Roman province in Asia Minor, which uh, today we know as Turkey. And so in this letter... Paul is laying out this epic vision that God has for all of creation to, uh, to bring all of creation under the leadership of King Jesus and the part that we play in it. And so if you were here last week, uh, we, we started chapter 2. And in chapter 2, Paul steps back from this big vision. He's unpacked in chapter 1, and he says, hey, let's go back and remember who we were before we came to Jesus. And so last week he says, you know, before we came to Jesus, we were a part of this fallen planet. We were part of this fallen race. We'd rebelled against God as a race. We'd uh, come under the leadership of Satan himself. We were being driven by our kind of fallen desires. And we were all scheduled for uh, execution. We were, we're all on death row spiritually. We're under judgment. And he says, but in the midst of this, while we were rebelling against God, while we were his enemies, that God came after us through Christ, he broke into our darkness he raised us from the dead spiritually through Christ. He recreated us like a whole new creation. Uh, he gifted it by his, by his spirit, and he called us to join him in this epic program to bring all creation under Christ. And so, uh, and, and we learned that this whole choice of us was, had nothing to do with us, nothing with our performance. It was completely a gift of his love, his grace reaching out to us. And so that was last week. Well, today we're going to take the next step in the unpacking of this vision. And what we're going to learn today is that God's vision for our lives is much bigger than just our lives. That his vision, that when we come to Jesus, we're called to be part of this new movement, a new community, a new humanity, a new race, if you will, that will populate the new creation that's coming. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, you've got your apps, let's go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to pick it up at verse 11. And there in your notes, she has a section called Epic, the New Community. Now, before we jump into chapter 2 and verse 11, let me set it up. Remember, Paul is writing this letter to a group of Christ followers who, for the most part, are have come out of a pagan Gentile background. They're not, they're not Jewish people. And so prior to coming to Christ, they were outside of Israel. They were outside of the chosen people. They were strangers to the promises of God. They, they were, had no future and no hope. And now they've come to Christ and they've come into this new community that God's building that's made up of both Jews and Gentiles. Now, it's hard for us today as 21st century Christ followers 
to understand how deep and wide and high and broad was this divide that separated Jews from Gentiles in the first century. There's really nothing in our experience that, that help us to understand this. Uh, for example, if you were a, a Jew, uh, you would uh, kind of never, uh, you, you would never give your daughter in marriage to a Gentile. Uh, Gentiles and Jews didn't marry. They would not even have dinner together. They would not visit each other's houses. There was this strict divide between the circumcised and the uncircumcised in the ancient world. And the interesting thing was is that God had chosen Israel uh, way back with Abraham, Abraham to be a conduit of his love and grace to all humanity. We'll talk more about that today. But along the way, Israel had kind of lost sight of this calling, and they had become all about themselves. So it's us against them. Uh, every morning, uh, faithful Jewish men would pray, and one of the prayers would be, God, thank you that I am not a Gentile. Uh, and so they had gotten this very big head, saw themselves as superior, and the reason they saw this superior more than anything else was that they have the law of God. They have the Torah, the instruction of God, the pathway to life. So the rest of the world's in darkness, the rest of the world in ignorance, they're worshiping gods made of stone and wood, they're carrying on all these crazy things, they're in darkness, we're Jews, we have the word of God, we have the light, okay? And that was kind of their per perspective. And they sort of lost sight that the reason God had chosen them was to be a conduit of his love and grace to the rest of the world. And so what they didn't realize was that this law of God, the Torah, was temporary. That it was given to Israel to separate them for a period of time so that it would create a nation where God could be revealed and to create a nation through whom Messiah would come. But it was sort of a, a temporary. And part of the law was that it had, there are certain parts of the Jewish law that served as what we would call today sociological boundary markers. Like when you look at certain groups, you can just tell by looking at them which group they're a part of, right? There's certain boundary markers. Like for example, you see, uh, let's say you're in Santa Cruz. It's an important part of this story. You're in Santa Cruz, you see a guy driving by with long hair and a VW bus with flowers on the side, and he looks stoned. What do you think? <laughs> Hippie, right? Never grew up, right? There's, those, are, those are certain. He's got all the boundary markers. You got the van. You got the peace signs. You got, you got the long hair. You got the, the you know, it's a VW bus. All this, okay, that's a hippie. And so you can do this in many areas of life where the law required certain sociological boundary markers of the Jews. The three most important, and you may want to write these down because they actually play a big part in the New Testament. The big three are circumcision. You know, they would circumcise their sons when they're eight days old, and so the rest of the world didn't do that. So you had circumcised and uncircumcised, insiders, outsiders. Uh, the second thing they was is they ate kosher. There were certain foods they ate, certain foods you don't eat, so you can't eat with Gentiles. They're going to eat wrong things. They're going to mess with your religion. The third thing is they practiced the Sabbath. In the ancient world, everyone else worked on Saturday. Only the Jews took it off. And so these markers, they kind of set Israel apart. They, 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 they were like a, a wall. Uh, I like to think of it as like the spiritual Berlin Wall. They kind of separated Israel off into their own community, their own culture, and here's the thing, this was important for a time. 
We'll, we'll come back to this later. But that was important for a time. If they had not separated themselves, they would have assimilated with the nations around them. They would have lost the truth about God. There would be no nation through the Messiah. So it was, it, was, it was important that they were separate, but it was temporary. And what Paul is going to say today was that the separation is that through the coming of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, the law was no longer needed. So the law is torn down. This big barrier has been torn down. And the reason it's torn down is so that now God can create this new community of Christ's followers coming from all races, all religions, that come under the leadership of King Jesus to create this new humanity to populate the new world that's coming. All right? So that's what he's going to be talking about. So I think with that background, it'll make a lot more sense now as we jump in. So let's, let's pick it up in chapter 2 and verse 11. <coughs> Therefore, remember that formerly, in the past, you who are Gentiles by birth, and these are Ephesian Christians or Gentiles, and you are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Remember I said the whole world is divided into two kinds of people, circumcised and uncircumcised. The, the Jews would speak of the rest of the world as, you know, uncircumcised. They're, not, they're, they're, they're kind of second class. He says, remember that... Um, he says, in the kind of circumcision that's done in the body by hands of men. He says, remember that at that time, or before you came to Christ, you were separate from Christ. Now, remember, Christ means what? That was really slow. <laughs> like, you know, it's 11 o'clock. I expect a little bit more at 11. Like, 9 gets a pass. They're still waking up, but at 11? Uh, okay, so Christ means what? Messiah. Messiah, good, right. So remember... Uh, that's, that's what he's talking about. He said, in the past, you were separate from Messiah. Uh, there was no hope in your life of a Messiah who would one day come and turn all wrongs to right. He says, you were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were not Jews. You were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. All the promises God had made with Israel, he said, you were outside of those. And the bottom line is, you were without hope and without God in the world. Now, they were pagan. They would worship Zeus, Artemis. Uh, they would wor you know, worship at these different gods, but he says you were without the true God, and so the, the bottom line, even though you were very, quote, spiritual, as today we'd say, we're, quote, very spiritual, you're still without God because you don't have the true God. He says, but now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away, nor as far from God, you've been brought near through the blood of Christ, through the death of Jesus. And then it says, for he himself is our peace. Now, this is interesting. Because Paul will often talk about this, is that through Christ, we have peace with God, right? That through his death, that we, the war is over, and that we have vertical relationship with God. has been restored. We have peace with God. But that's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here, as we'll see in just a minute, is that because of the cross of Christ, because we all come to Jesus the same way, this barrier of the law has been removed that now we have peace with one another. Jews and Gentiles can be part of the same new community. And so he says, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two into one, there's Jews and Gentiles, and he's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, the spiritual Berlin Wall, by abolishing in his flesh, or through his death, the law with its commandments and its regulations. So that used to separate like a fence, and those have been taken away now. 
So his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, out of Jews and Gentiles, thus making peace. And so Paul says that God's vision from day one is to create this one new man. Now remember, in Hebrew, the word for man, remember from Genesis Chronicles, is Adam. And so in Paul's mind, there's only two men that are leader of the race. There's, there's the first man, Adam, and there's the second man, Jesus. And so we were all part of the old Adam, the old human race. He says that God's purpose is to create a new man. Later in Ephesians, he will refer to the body of Christ, this new man. Is the head is Christ, we're the body. And so, so God's vision has been to create this new humanity from day one. And it says um, uh, in verse uh, 16, and in this one body through himself to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, so we all come to Jesus the same way, doesn't matter Jews or Gentiles, by which he put to death their hostility, this law. So he came and preached peace to you who were far away, that'd be Gentiles, far from God, and peace to those who were near, Jews. For through him, we have access to the Father by one spirit. So he says that through the coming of Christ, we all come to God the same way now, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And when we come to Jesus, we receive the gift of his Holy Spirit, like we learned back in chapter one, this great inheritance, the presence of God in our life to lead, guide, and direct our promise of the next life. And so you're a Jew, you come to Jesus through the cross, you receive the Spirit. I'm a Gentile, I come to, G to God through Jesus and the cross, and I receive the Spirit. We all share the same, we're all the same. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, uh, one uh, God and Father of us all, as he'll say later in chapter 4. We're all one, this new community, this new race. And then he goes on, he says, consequently, you, you know, as Gentiles, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but you're now fellow citizens with God's people. And so he says, now, as members of this new community, Paul says he's going to use three different analogies to describe this new community. He's going to say, uh, it's like God is creating a new nation, and we're all citizens. Second analogy, God's creating a new family. We're all members. Third analogy, he's creating a new building, a new temple. And we are all stones in this new temple. So we're all one. So he, he says, consequently, verse 19, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but you're now fellow citizens. There's the first analogy. This new nation, fellow citizens with God's people. And you're, number two, members of God's household, the new family. And, this, and then number three is this new building. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. This new building, new temple, built on the leadership of the apostles and prophets. With Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, the most important uh, stone in this building. And in him, the whole building is joined together. It rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, right there in Ephesus, you're being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And so he says that what, what's happened is that through Jesus, God has broken down the barriers, broken down the wall, destroyed the law. And so now we're coming together to form this new community of followers of Jesus. He says it's like a new nation, like a new nation of God. It's like a new family. It's like a new temple. A temple is a place where God is revealed, his presence is experienced. He says, right there in Ephesus, in your churches, God is building and adding people, and he's building this incredible temple where this presence will dwell, right there in Ephesus. All right, so that's the passage. Now, 
What I want to do today is kind of break this down. And first of all, I want to highlight two really important big picture principles that are important for us to understand about God's vision and kind of part two of God's vision. We've been talking part one in chapter one. We're moving now into kind of part two. Uh, and then, and then secondly, I want to come back then, and I want to ask three specific questions for your life and mine, how we're doing in terms of implementing and experiencing that vision. So there in your note sheet, you have a section called Epic, the Vision, Part 2. So let's jump in. Just two big picture principles, and then we'll get to the questions. Number one, first question, or first principle, is that God's vision is the new community. The first thing that jumps out, kind of big picture, is that God's vision from day one was this new community. It wasn't like, hey, plan one was Israel. That didn't work out. Let's go to plan B. Uh, that from the very beginning, God's vision was to create this new community of Christ's followers. Now, here's the thing. For us, I think especially in America, we'll talk more about this later, but especially in America, we tend to view our relationship with God in a very personal way don't we? It's highly personal. Uh, and, and so if we've looked through chapter one, and we look through this vision, and we've documented this vision, in chapter one, we learned that as a follower of Jesus, that we have been chosen before time began to be part of God's movement, that he forgave us through Christ, that he adopted us to be part of his family, that he gave us his spirit as a promise of the inheritance that, we, uh, that it's coming in the future, we learned that we were gifted by his spirit to take part in him and join with him in this kind of cosmic reclamation project, right? So that's what we've been learning. And chances are, as we've gone through that, you have read that in a very individualistic way. As I've laid out that vision, you said, hey, God chose me. Isn't that awesome? God chose me, that he forgave me that he adopted me, he gifted me, he's given me his spirit. I get to spend forever with him. Like, that's how we tend to read it. And that is very true. Our relationship with Jesus and with the Father is always intensely personal. I think of what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. He says, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And then catch this, who loved me. And gave himself for me. And so our relationship with Jesus is always intensely personal. But what Paul is saying today is that when Jesus rescued you, when he came after you, he didn't rescue you just so that you could have a new vertical relationship with God and live kind of an isolated Christian life over here, just kind of me and God. That God's vision from day one is to create a new people, a new community, a new race, if you will that will live with him forever, this community of love and relationship that will be with the Father, Son, and the Spirit in the midst of this new community that will rule with him forever in the new creation. And maybe a way to get at this is to go back to our last series. You go back to our last series, it was the Genesis Chronicles, and I want to just do a quick review of what we learned. Remember that we learned that that first six days of creation, chapter one, whether you see that as six literal days or six longer eras of time or a literary format like we talked about then, we saw that all those six days, that every day was leading up to the grand finale, this great crescendo of day six. 
that all that was being created uh, in, the, in the cosmos was creating a home for us so that when on the sixth day, God creates the first man and woman to rule over this creation, right? That was all designed for us. But then what, what, what happened? We rebelled against God as a race. We followed the great enemy. Lights went out spiritually. We died spiritually because when you, when you, uh, when you re, kind of re, rebel against the source of all life, the end result is going to be death. So the lights go out, and so we become the fallen race. We're under the judgment, right? And that's what we learned last week in Ephesians 2, chapter 1. He says, hey, you're, you, before you came, you were spiritually dead. You are following the ways of the world around you. You are following the spirit that's now at work, Satan, among those who are disobedient. Like the rest, you were objects of wrath. You were destined for destruction. So we are born into a dead race. We are born into a race that's on death row. But what did we learn last week? We learned that God is calling people out from this dead race, that he is calling people out, that he's raising them from the dead spiritually, that he is recreating them just like a new creation event to be part of this new community. And I want you to think about this. Today, I've used several different terms to talk about this new movement of Jesus. I've talked about a new community. I've talked about a new humanity, a new society, a new race. We've talked about family of God, temple of God, new nation. One term I haven't used today is the church of Jesus. And it's very intentional. Because when you and I hear the word church today, we think of building. You know, like, where's that church? Who's the pastor of that church? We think building. But here's what I want you to catch. I want to give you the New Testament word for church. Because this is very important. And so if you have a pen, let's go and write this down. The, the, the name for church, I'm going to spell it out and everything. The name for church is ekklesia. Okay? It's a Greek word. It's made out of two words. So it's, uh, ekklesia is E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A. Ekklesia. It's made up of two Greek words. The first Greek word is a preposition, ek, E-K. It means out of or from, out of or from. The word klesia comes from the Greek word, verb, kaleo, which means to call out, to call out. You're going to call out something. So what is an ekklesia? An ekklesia are the people that God has called out. Well, called out from what? Called out from the fallen race. You see? And so this has been God's vision from the start. That when you came to Jesus, his vision for your life was not just you and him. It was to be part of this new community, part of this new race. And catch this. This is so epic. That when Jesus comes back, he's going to turn all wrongs to right. He's going to create new heavens and a new earth. Well, who do you think those new heavens and new earth are being created for? They're being created for us. In fact, there in your note sheet, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 25. This is the last week of his life. And he is telling his disciples, hey, while I'm gone, you need to be at it. You need to be focused in because uh, when I come back, I'm going to be holding you accountable for what you've done while I'm gone. And one of the parables he tells is the parable of the sheep and the goats. And in this parable, you want to be a sheep, not a goat. So 
basically, when he, when he comes back, he says, I'm going to be like a shepherd. I'm going to separate all of humanity into two classes. There's only two. There's sheep and goats. You want to be, be a sheep. So let's see what happens. He says, so then the king, um, this Jesus, will say to those on his right, those are the sheep, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you, catch that, prepared for you since the what? Creation of the world. This has been God's vision. When you come to Jesus, you're not just entering into a personal vertical relationship with God, you're becoming part of a movement, part of a kingdom, part of a new community, part of a new nation, part of a new family, part of a new race, the new race that's going to populate the new creation. Now, let's go on to number two then. The second big picture principle is that God's vision breaks down walls. Otherwise, this vision that God has for the new community, it's not just a new community, it's a new community where the walls that have separated us in the past are broken down. Like we live in a fallen world, and there are a million different breakdowns, aren't there? You look at culture, you look at nations, you look at political parties. It's just, there is just war at every level. There is breakdown in division. It's part of our human nature. In fact, in Galatians 5, when Paul is detailing the works of the flesh, our old nature, one of the things he says is divisions and factions. This is what comes naturally to us as human beings. This is why it's so hard to create a unified culture in any organization. This is why most organizations move towards bureaucracy and politics. This is why churches split. This is why families don't get along. It's part of our fallen nature to divide for a whole host of reasons. And so what Paul is saying is God's vision for the future is that right here on earth, right now, he would be forming a new community where the old barriers are being broken down and a new community of love and affection and teamwork and respect is being built right in the middle of time, right now. And it will be a precursor, kind of the, uh, kind of a, 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 the kind of a preview of coming attractions of what life will be like when the king comes back. And so, of course, in this passage, the big emphasis Paul is, is working on is this breakdown between Jews and Gentiles, because it's the biggest divide in the ancient world. But in his other writings, he details other breakdowns, other walls that need to be broken down. So, for example, there on your note sheet in Galatians chapter 6, I mean 3, he says, talking to the church of Galatia, he says, all of you who were baptized into Christ. And by the way, just a quick sidebar, uh, in the New Testament church, all Christians were baptized. You can just talk about, like when he says all of you are baptized, he's not talking about, I know some of you are and some of you aren't. He says all of you are baptized. In other words, it's a way of talking about Christians. In the early church, when you became to, came to Jesus, you got baptized. It's the way you said, I want to be part of this. There was no unbaptized believers. That would be a, a kind of oxymoron. So he says all of us who are baptized into Christ, all of us Christ followers, he said we've clothed ourselves with Christ. We've come from different backgrounds and different uh, experiences, but we come into Jesus, it's like we're getting baptized, probably like a, like a baptismal gown, so to speak. We're covering up all those differences. We are now going to be one in Christ. He said, we've clothed ourselves with Christ. And so he says, now there's neither Jew nor Greek. That's Jew or Gentile. And we've already talked about it today. 
But notice he says, but there's neither slave nor free. Think of that, the economic breakdowns, the sociological breakdowns. You see, like, the, where can people just come together as members of the new race? The church of Jesus. In the ancient world, you know, slaves and masters hanging out and socializing in any other setting. I say, the church of Jesus, it breaks down barriers. And then he goes on, he talks about gender barriers. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. I think since the beginning of time, we saw this in the Genesis Chronicles. There is a break between relationship with men and women. And men tend to abuse power, and women usually resort to, often resort to manipulation. But there is this breakdown in the relationship between genders. And so Paul says this is God's vision to create a new community where the old ways are, walls are broken down. There's a community of love and affection and respect and cooperation and harmony. It's a, it's a community of joy. This is God's vision. And for that vision to happen, the old barriers have to be broken down. Right? Okay, so those are the two big principles. Now, let's get practical. Let's talk about our lives and how we're living out the vision. Our own life here at Rocky Peak. You have a section there called Epic, Pursuing the Vision. And I've got three questions for you. And what I would ask is, as we're going through this, I would ask you just be listening to the Holy Spirit. Is there something here for you today? Is there an area of your life where he wants you to take the next step in creating this new community? So here we go. Number one. The first question is, are you connecting to the new community? Are you connecting this new community of Jesus? Now, we've seen today that God's vision for your life that when he chose you before time, he called you to himself, forgave you, adopted you, gifted you, that his vision for your life is to be deeply connected to the new community. Uh, his vision is not for you to be in isolation off as a Christian in the distance. Right? That, that's a, the vision is to be part of this new community. You have a part to play. It's an important part to play. And so in other words, that when we come to Jesus, not only does our vertical relationship with God change, that God becomes our Father. But when we come to Jesus, our horizontal relationship with all other Christ followers change. They become our brothers and sisters. This is what, what happens in the new community. And so the question is, are you connecting deeply to the new community? Now, here's what I've, I've experienced in my life. It's like for some people, when we come to Jesus, maybe we're more extroverted or whatever the thing is. But we come to Jesus, we love this whole idea. Like, this is awesome. I've got this new community. And so it's like, say here at Rocky Peak, someone comes to Christ, they come to Jesus, and they just jump in, both feet. I mean, they, they jump in a life group right away. They start making friendships. They start serving. They start using their gifts. They start giving financially to kind of fund the movement. They, uh, they, they begin loving others, taking care of one another, bearing each other's burden. They're deeply, and within a very short time, the community of Jesus has become their community. But there are others of us that, for whatever reason, are much slower to jump in. And so I like to put it this way, that we really like Jesus. We're just not so sure about his people. Yeah. Like, I've known too many of them. I'm just really good. Jesus and me over here in the desert, I'm fine. We're like a dysfunctional family, just keep them away from me. Right? 
And I think there's often a lot of like, great reasons, some not so great reasons, but there's a lot of reasons for this. So let me just kind of run through some reasons why this is. Why would a person be a follower of Jesus but not deeply connected to his community if this is his vision for our life? I think, uh, first of all, I think the first reason is that many of us have experienced a lot of dysfunctional relationships in our life. Uh, but for some of you, you were raised in a home where you learned very early not to be vulnerable, to be tough-skinned, uh, to stay away from conflict, that things are just not going to go well. And so you've lived your whole life kind of in isolation with big walls up uh, protecting you because you just learned that life is not safe. And so whether it was family or whether it was friends, you learned you don't show weakness, you don't, you, you, you don't connect with people, just keep them at arm's distance. So we come to Jesus and we still have that same paradigm. We, we still bring that in. And so we're very slow to jump in. I think for other people, this is a cultural thing. We are Americans, right? And we're one of the most independent groups of people in the history of the world. We very much pull ourselves up by our, our bootstraps, don't admit you have needs, uh, stay disconnected. I mean, you look at our communities. You know, you drive into your, you drive into your, your home, hit the you know, clicker, boom, thing goes up, come in, put thing, you know, drawbridge goes down, uh, the moat comes into place, alligators outside. Uh, <laughs> hey, don't even think about trying to come in. You know, it's like they'll eat you alive, you know. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, by the way. Uh, anyway, uh, and so for some, it's just a cultural thing, and we've just drunk the water of our culture our whole lives. I think for others of us, um, it's just because it's a priority issue. We're just busy. Um, anyone busy here? Oh, great. I'm the only one. Okay, good. Uh, but, I mean, we're a busy culture. Like, we're running hard, right? And so, for, I think for a lot of Christians, I would love to be more connected with the community of Jesus. I would love to be serving more. I would love to be uh, more connected. I'd love to be in a life group, or I'd love to be more connected with people in my life group, or I'd love to have people over, or I'd love to, whatever the thing is, right? I would love to do that, but I can't. Life is just too busy. And so it really comes to a priority issue, and we may have never thought of it this way, but what we're actually saying is that these other things are a higher priority in my life than connecting to the community of Jesus, you know, one place we, we see this, and I'm, I probably step on some toes here, and that's okay because they probably need to be stepped on. But I'm just warning you, I do love you. Uh, so it's not, a, it's not a guilt thing, but just kind of raise it. One place I really see it in the body of Christ is our, um, is our uh, high commitment to kind of youth activities. Right? So, like, if you see, like, if you have young kids, you have kids growing up, uh, I'm, I'm amazed as followers of Jesus, we will be so passionate about having our kids involved in every extracurricular thing. And so it's like every youth sport, they got to be involved. And so, well, those happens on weekends. And so you say, hey, I haven't seen you for a while. You go, yeah, we're in this tournament, we're in that tournament. And so what we're saying to our kids is that it's important to be a Christian, but the community of Jesus is not that important. It's really more important to get a volleyball scholarship someday than it is to be connected to the movement of Jesus. And so then we can't understand when we raise our kids and they go away to college and they no longer want to be connected to the community of Jesus. They no longer want to be involved in church. We can't understand why they just want to go to the beach on the weekends or watch sports on the weekends. And it's like, are you serious? We've trained them for 20 years to do this. For the last 20 years, we have told them that, hey, your extracurricular activities or your grades are more important than being in your high school small group in the middle of the week. 
Their whole life, we have trained and modeled them that it's good to be a Christian and it's good to go to church and be involved and connected when it works out. But when it doesn't work out, then choose sports, then choose academics, then choose band, then choose karate, then choose something else. And we wonder when our kids grow up and kick the traces, why are they not involved in church? Because your whole life, we have taught them that church is nice when it fits. <laughs> I'd just like to close down prayer. And uh, I feel another call coming on. Yeah. So you know me. You know my heart. I, I have no desire to kind of guilt you out. I'm just saying, hey, think about this. And in our own life, when we're too busy to be involved in community, we're too busy to serve, you have to come back and say, well, well wait a second. If this is God's vision. This is God's vision. You were chosen before time. You were forgiven and adopted. Jesus uniquely gifted you to build the community. You are part of this epic movement of Jesus, and you're not on board. Hey, whatever the reason, is not a good one. But it's it's not the, there's other reasons as well. I think um, a couple more. I think for some of us that we really want to be connected with community, we just have a hard time finding a good church. And this, it's it's a real thing. It's a real issue. And, uh, and, and that can be hard sometimes. I think for others of us, um, it's because we've been burned in church. And this is a big one. I think people hear all the time, me from Rocky Peak, they've come and they've just been deeply burned. And so what happens is you come to Jesus, you begin to serve, give, involve, connect, love, take care. And all of a sudden, uh, you share something in a small group. And this small group, instead of receiving with grace and loving you, kind of responds with like really bad advice or hyper-spirituality or uh, condemnation. And all of a sudden, you've taken the step of vulnerability and now there's condemnation. And you thought we were going to, you thought our value was authenticity. And boy, I guess it's really not. You just went to a buzzsaw of judgment. And you're hurt. You share something in confidence and then it comes out that over here, this person, share, they've shared outside your life group. There's something political that happens in a church, and you get caught in the, in, the, in the crossfire, and you get deeply hurt. And if you've ever experienced that, you know that everything within you says, I still love Jesus, and I still want to be involved in church, but I'm just going to sit in the back row. No offense. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to come late, and I'm going to leave early, and I'm not getting involved because I just don't want to get hurt. But I think for many of us, the reason we can be so disconnected from the community of Jesus is simply because we've never been taught. We live in this American culture where it's God and me, and we come to Jesus, and we we enter into a relationship, but no one ever shared that part of God's epic vision is creating this new community, and we each have a part to play. And then it's here that we'll find our relationships. It's here where we'll learn how to love. It's here where we'll grow. It's here where we're desperately needed because Jesus has gifted us to help build this community. And, and we've just never heard that before. We've never understood that before. And so today I want to expand this vision that we've been talking about, this epic vision that, yes, you've been chosen before time. Yes, you've been chosen to be forgiven and adopted, gifted with the Spirit, gifted to make a difference Bring all of creation under the leadership of King Jesus, and you are called to play an important part in this community. And so the question shouldn't be, what can I get, but what do I give?
So many times we have a consumer mindset. Well, what am I going to get out of it? Oh, what you're going to get is you're going to get fulfillment as you come under the leadership of Jesus and play an important role. This is his vision for your life and will never be whole without it. Okay, number two. The second question is, are you moving past your prejudices? We've seen today that God's vision is not just for our salvation, but for the new community. But to create this community and to break down these barriers that we've talked about, that we have to grow up and move past our prejudices. And the reality is we all have them. When you come to Jesus, we all, we all have them. Now, they may not be Jew or Gentile. That was their big one, right? So you may say, I, I, this doesn't really apply to me. I'm a Jew. I've got a lot of Gentile friends. <laughs> I'm a Gentile. I have some great Jewish friends. Yeah. So that may not be the issue. But what I'm saying is that though that may not be our issue, we all have issues because it's part of our fallen human nature. And a big part of it, of following Jesus, is to grow out of these prejudices. So maybe your, your prejudice is not Jew versus Gentile. Maybe it's racial. Uh, maybe it's socioeconomic. Maybe it's education level. Maybe it's political. You know, maybe it's Max over PCs. Uh, you know, <laughs> Chargers over Raiders. Uh, uh, but we all have them, Right? And it's amazing because oftentimes, hey, we don't want to join that life group because that person makes too much money and I, they have a nice house and I don't. Or I make too much money. I don't want to go and be in that one. That's like, this person is just getting started off in life. Like we have these prejudices. And can I tell you something? God's vision is that the church of Jesus is where prejudices go to die. It's the place where we grow past this, where we move on beyond, and we move beyond them into our unity in Christ. You know, the very first small group that Lynn and I ever led um, was back, you know, it's shortly after Jesus. Um, <laughs> so Peter was in it, Paul. <laughs> uh, the, uh, when I was at the previous church, North Coast, uh, where I was from, uh, you're only there for 24 years, whatever. Anyway, wh one of the first things they asked me to do when I, when I joined the team was to kind of figure out small groups for our church. And so um, so we did. We were a church about 200 people at the time, launched the group, seven groups, needed seven leader couples, several host couples, seven host couples. And so I recruited these people. We did the training, uh, launched the groups. And because I was kind of behind it, uh, we kind of took whoever didn't fit naturally with other groups, you know. And so... Um, I, I remember the very first night, well, well, first of all, the group, our group was very diverse. And I, I remember, for example, uh, I was 28 at the time, uh, and, and my wife and I had recently finished uh, kind of uh, Christian colleges, right? So we, we had that kind of cool thing in our background. We're very poor, just starting up, no kids. Uh, no, yeah, no, we, no, we had a kid. I, my wife would correct me, but anyway. Uh, uh, anyway, just starting off, our host couple was a Navy doctor, and he's stationed at Camp Pendleton. And uh, his wife had come from a very upscale uh, suburb of one of the major metropolitan areas, uh, the kind of people that, uh, you know, love, love artwork and modern art and all things, a very kind of sophisticated background, right? So that, that's the host and the leader. 
I remember we had a couple in our group that um, were from the South, I think it was South Carolina or something like that, and uh, he was a, a Marine Corps sergeant, an enlisted guy, uh, and, and his wife, and we had another couple that was a young Hispanic couple, the wife had never finished high school, and so there was other couples, you get the feeling this, very diverse, right? And so I remember after the very first uh, life group, we call them growth group, after his growth group meetings, uh, we, everyone left, and we were there with our host couple, the Navy doctor and his uh, sophisticated wife, and, uh, <laughs> and we're just kind of talking about the group, and it's like, man, do you think this is going to work? I mean, this is so diverse. We have, like, nothing in common. This is going to be crazy. You know, we just kind of trusted God, moved forward, and by the end of the year, God did some amazing things in that group. We get to the very last night at the end of the year, and uh, we're all sharing about what the group's meant to us and going around evaluating. And one guy says, you know, I got to tell you, this is the most amazing group I've ever been in in my whole life. He said, but I guess it's no surprise because we have so much in common. <laughs> see, that's what happens in the church of Jesus. We clothe ourselves with Christ and these other things, how much money we make, what kind of car we drive, how much education we have, what side of the track we're on, we were brought up on, the color of our skin, uh, whether we do Mac or PCs, uh, all these things, all these things go away. Because the church of Jesus is where prejudice goes to die. Amen? I'm in. All right. Now, so the question is for you. Uh, are, are you growing? Because it's a major part of us being a follower of Jesus is growing past, moving past all prejudice. Now, finally, the third question is, are you sharing Christ? And this one, you might think, that's kind of an odd question coming out of this passage of Scripture, but it's really not. And let me, let me just kind of unpack this. What we saw earlier is that when God called Abraham to start a nation, God's vision from day one was to use Israel to be a conduit of his love and grace and redemption to the whole world. Uh, and so from the, from the very beginning, Genesis 12, he calls him to he's saying, start this new nation, and he says, and if you follow me through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So from day one, God's vision was to use Israel. And so God's strategy was to separate Israel from the rest of the world so that he could reveal himself as the true God and create a, a nation through which Messiah could come and rescue the whole world. The problem was, is that Israel lost track of that vision. And so in the early days, if you know the story of the Bible, God was very clear with this. When you go into the promised land, don't intermarry, don't make treaties, drive them out. It was extremely important to keep those walls of separation there, and the law did that. The law said Sabbath day. The law said circumcision. The law said kosher, right? And so these, these things helped throughout history create a separate culture for Israel, but what Israel lost sight of was that the separation was a temporary separation. So that one day when Messiah came, the law would be broken down, the wall would be broken down, and a new community of Messiah followers could be created from all races in all backgrounds. And this is what they lost sight of. And you know what? This is a danger for us today as well. Because, for example, here at Rocky Peak, God is doing an amazing work, isn't he? 
He is drawing us together. Our life groups are going crazy. We're moving past prejudices. We're developing a passion for Jesus. God is mentoring us in worship. He's teaching us wisdom. He's filling us with his spirit. God is doing an amazing thing. But the danger is that we start thinking it's all about us. It's not all about it. God is creating a temple here in our midst so that there is a place where people who are out there who Paul describes as without God and without hope can come in and the community can grow and thrive. And I want you to see this. In chapter 2 and verse 22, Paul talks about the church in Ephesus and how this teaching that he's just given applies to their local church. And he says in verse 22, and in him, you too, you as Christ followers, are being built together, this new temple, right? Built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. He's right there in Ephesus. God is building a temple. His temple is his people. And notice the tense of the verb. What he says is, in him, you two are being built. You see that? It's an ongoing process. And you say, well, how does the community of Jesus get built up? How does it get stronger, bigger, better, faster? Well, two ways. Number one, we'll see this when we get to chapter four. We'll talk about it more then. But the body of Christ is built up as each of us uses our gifts to serve the community. But catch this. The way the body of Christ, the new community, gets built up is by us sharing this good news of this epic vision of God with those who don't know. And as they come into the new community, as they come to Christ, the community is built up. The temple expands and grows. And so as Christ followers, we always have a double agenda. One, we're to be using our gifts within the body to create this amazing new community. But secondly, we're to be developing relationships with those outside the body. So when the time comes and they have questions about, well, why do you believe this? Or what about the Bible? Or I thought Christians thought, or what's this life group you're involved in? Or, or you're real religious, or you pray, would you pray? When those conversations come up and they have questions because you've invested in them, you've loved them well, you've been a true friend, and in the context of friendship, when they ask questions, that we're able to answer their questions. Here's a little of my story. Here's a little of Jesus' story. Why don't you come and see? And as they come into the temple of God, the people of God, they experience the presence of God here in our midst, real time. God came in to speak and reveal and draw them in. And so the question is, are you investing in relationships with people far from God, loving them well, Will they come to Jesus or not? We just love people well. It's what we do. When the questions are asked, we can answer and say, come and see. On the back of your note sheet, there's one final section. It's called Epic One Body. And today as we bring this service towards a close, we're going to be celebrating communion together. And you know, when we talk about communion, I think for most of us, we think in terms of our individual relationship with God, our vertical relationship, Jesus died for me, loved me, his body, his blood for me, his life for my life, I'm forgiven. And of course, that is communion. But often, that we, one thing we don't understand as Christ followers is that communion also speaks of the vision of the new community. In fact, there in your note sheet, 
1 Corinthians 10, Paul talking about communion, he says, is not the bread that we break, talking about communion, our participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf in the ancient church, house churches often would celebrate with one loaf. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. And so when we go to take communion, it is a statement not only that we're trusting Jesus for our salvation, it's a statement that we buy into his vision of this new race, this new community, where we love one another and we're one in Christ, we're breaking down barriers. And so as we go today, I want you to ask these three questions. As you're par participating, as you're taking the, 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 the bread, as you're uh, taking the cup, that you would be asking yourself these questions. Am I connecting to the community? Is that a high priority in my life? Am I investing in relationships? I'm loving well. Am I taking care of one another? Am I using my gifts? Am I funding the, the, the movement financially? Am I connected? Or is there a change that I need to make in light of that this is God's vision for my life and his calling on my life? And that's the second question. Are there any prejudices that we need to grow past? You personally need to grow past. This is it. This is it. For me, it's, it's like I, I'm uncomfortable hanging out with kind of wealthy Christians. I just feel inadequate. I'm unhealthy with poor Christians. I, I feel weird in this situation. It's racially mixed. I feel weird in this situation. It's not racially mixed. Whatever the thing is. Is there an area of your life that you need to grow past your prejudices? And then finally, are you on track, not only building the community from the inside, but building it from the outside, connecting with those who don't know? So would you stand with me? We're going to go into communion now, and as we normally do, we're going to be worshiping during communion. We'll give you some time. There's around the, the room, there are communion tables. Uh, there's one in the back. There's some in the back here, and the, the very back upstairs as well. Um, and so when you're ready, just kind of go and receive communion. I encourage you, find a quiet spot maybe. Just pray over these things we've talked about. If God's speaking to you, just have a great conversation, commitments about those things. I would ask you that you would leave then your cups, when you're done with them, just put them in the trash cans by the side. Don't bring them back so we don't spill the grape juice all over. Uh, and, and one just pra practical tip is that the best way to go is to go sideways to the walls. There's always a traffic jam here at the front if you come forward. It looks like the 405 during rush hour. And so if you just kind of move to sides or to back, that'll be a probably a better experience. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. That through his death, the wall has been broken down. The dividing wall has separated us from one another. Whether it's Jew or Gentiles or rich or poor, slave or free, men or women, whatever the separation is. We thank you that we have peace not only with you, God, through your life, death, and resurrection, but we have peace with one another. So, God, we pray that you teach us how to build a church here, a community, an ecclesia that is pursuing peace, that is making it a top priority to maintain the peace of the body. We pray for our life groups that we would fully engage with one another, loving one another, sharing together, meeting each other's needs, using our gifts. We pray that your vision for your ecclesia would, would come to fruition here at Rocky Peak. God, we love what you're doing. We love how you're breaking down. We love how seeing people that would be friends in no other context, but here they become close. We love the way that you're bringing diversity to our church, whether it's racial or socioeconomic or political. We love what you're doing. God, we pray for more. We pray that your vision of the new creation and the new community that would begin to be seen in time and space 
as we begin to experience the grace and love of Jesus and the peace that we have with you would flow out to peace with one another. And together with one voice, we'd be pursuing you. That we'd be a temple where people who are far from God, who don't know God, who have no hope, could come and experience the presence of God because of the community you're building. And so we pray you'd meet us now as we come to celebrate your life and your death and your resurrection. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And oh God, that's the prayer of our heart that with everything in our life that we would shout that forth. And God, we know that you've called us together to be not just individual, isolated Christ followers shouting out your glory, but as your word says in Romans 15, that with one voice, that the ecclesia of Jesus, the called out, rescued members of this new race, that we would call forth your praise that we would get in practice of doing that now because we will be doing it forever just with greater volume, greater intensity, greater beauty, just singing the praises of the one who rescued us, this new creation that's coming. And so, God, we pray that you would birth a new vision here in our hearts as a church, that our understanding of your vision for this new community would be higher and bigger and deeper and wider than anything we've ever understood before that we would be living out kind of an Acts 2 church, devoted to God, devoted to the, the apostles' teaching, loving one another, breaking bread in each other's homes, meeting each other's financial needs, that this would be a picture of heaven on earth, that this church would be a preview of coming attractions, that it would be a sign and a wonder of what the new creation is coming. And so, God, we pray you would break down barriers. You'd help us to establish the right priorities. You'd help us to use our gifts to love one another deeply from the heart. That it might be a picture that would bring you praise and glory as we give you everything. And this is our prayer in the name of our leader and our Lord, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Hey, well, I hope you can be with us next week as we continue this journey. We'll be moving into chapter 3 as Paul begins to unpack more of this vision about the new community, his role in it, what our role is. And so we'll be looking forward to you at that time. Don't forget that right after the service, we always have the opportunity for prayer. If you need prayer for anything over here on my, to my right against the far wall, there's prayer teams there. God bless you. Have a great week and live large.